If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. For context, I'll begin in verse 21. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 945. Page 945. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 21. Has a potter no right over the clay? to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. What if God, desiring to show his wrath, to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And the very place where it was told, said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. May God bless his reading of his word. Please be seated. Well, by God's grace, if the Lord wills, I will finish looking at Romans 9 today. But the truth that we find in Romans chapter 9 It should not be forgotten by us as we seek as God's children to please the Lord with our lives as well as continuing studying the rest of this epistle. When Scripture is silent, we as Christians must be silent. But when Scripture is extremely clear, we must believe what it says, we must stand upon it, and we must proclaim it as truth. In chapter 9, Paul is answering the question, if God is a promise keeper, and God is sovereign over all things, what about Israel? Has God's word failed because the majority of Israel is lost? If God has failed, he cannot be trusted by us. But as Paul has declared, God's word has not failed, We can trust all of Scripture and all of His promises. I don't know if you actually believe that this morning. Do you in your heart believe 
We can trust God. All of His promises. Everything that He has said. We find in Romans 9, not all Israel is Israel. There is physical Israel and there is spiritual Israel. The children of promise will be saved. That means every soul whom God predestined before the foundation of the world will be saved by God's grace. He will not lose a single one. God's purpose of election is based upon who He is and who He extends mercy to. He will have mercy on whomever He wills, and He will harden whomever He wills. God is God and we are not. The potter has the right to do with what he wills with his clay. It is his clay. One vessel for honorable use, one vessel for dishonorable use. God is not the author of sin, but he does grant redemptive love to some while he passes over others. Now, this is not injustice on God's part, as Paul has said, for mercy is outside the realm of God's justice. Some get mercy while others get what they rightly deserve, God's wrath. Now, in Romans 9, verse 23, Blake preached on this verse last week, we find eight important words here. To make known the riches of His glory. Your life and salvation is not about you. It's about the glory of God. God makes known the riches of His glory by forming vessels of honorable use as well as dishonorable use. In this world, both vessels, honorable and dishonorable, they glorify Him. Romans 9 teaches us who God is and how He works. God's chief end is His glory. It is His glory all the time. Dishonorable vessels show God's patience with sin. And without salvation, He will make known His wrath and power for His glory. Honorable vessels show the riches of His glory. That a holy God reached down and saved sinners by the giving of His Son. It is God's sovereign choice to do what He wills with His creation. God is God, and as Paul has clearly said, who are we? We have flashbacks to Job. Where were you when you laid the foundation of the world? Who are we? He is God. We are His creation. He shows His wrath. God makes known His power. He elects men and women to salvation. And His election is not conditional, but unconditional. If you are saved, it's all of God's grace. Not your works. You did not meet a certain condition because your salvation was unconditional. If you are not saved, this should encourage you because you are not outside of His all-powerful hand. Just like the Apostle Paul, he can take the chief of sinners and make him or her a saint. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. You have grace, you have faith, and you have Christ Both the vessels that God molds, they glorify Him and reveal His attributes. Verse 24, Blake ended with this verse last week. He says, Even us whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So God calls Jews and God calls Gentiles, for His plan of redemption includes both. 
And today we begin with 925. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her whom was not beloved, I will call beloved. Paul here is quoting Hosea 2, verse 23. He says, And I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Now, this can be really difficult to read and to understand if you don't recognize that there are capital letters in here. It's referring to names. No mercy and not my people are names. No mercy will receive mercy. And not my people will hear the words, you are my people. Then he goes immediately to Romans 9, verse 26. And the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Paul now is going to Hosea 1, verse 10. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. So the location where they heard, you are not my people, they shall hear children of the living God. So Paul quotes both of these verses from Hosea for only one simple reason. He shows from the Old Testament that God's plan of redemption has always included the Gentiles. That's his plan. No mercy will receive mercy. Not my people will be my people. In the place where it is said, you are not my people, it shall be said of them, children of the living God. Paul humbly points to the Scriptures saying once again, looking back at the Old Testament to these people that are in Rome, God has not failed. He has never failed. He did not fail with Israel. He has not failed today. You can trust the one true living God. With everything that He has said, God has not failed. God hasn't failed Israel and all of His promises will come to pass. If you're a child... You should be praising the Lord that every promise he has made, every promise that he has said to you as his child, it will come to pass. God hasn't failed. Everything the Lord plans and promises and wills, it gets accomplished by him, and it's all done for his glory. As we have seen in God's unconditional election throughout history, God's electing love includes both the Jews and the Gentiles. His forever kingdom is made up of souls from every tribe, tongue, language, and people. God will have mercy on whom he wills, and he will harden whomever he wills. God's plan of redemption includes Jews and Gentiles. 1 Peter 2, verses 6-12, through Blake read earlier, provides more clarity for this. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying on Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for those who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the Word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as Gentiles, we should be overwhelmed with God's redeeming love, that his redeeming love extends to us. God came for the Jew first. 
But his plan was always to save Gentiles. God grants some to believe and others are destined or appointed to stumble, as God's word says. I love what James Montgomery Boyce, he gave three applications in looking at just Romans 9, 25 and 26. Application one, he said salvation is of grace. Salvation cannot be earned by us. There is not a person on the planet who deserves salvation. Our works cannot save. Even speaking with a gentleman last night, the words came out of his mouth and talking to him and sharing the gospel that said, I'm not a horrible person. Well, God's word says that you are. Your heart is deceitful above all things. We, we are not good people. We're not good. There's not a person who deserves salvation. Salvation is of grace. Application two, salvation is all of God. No one can save themselves. God does it all. The lost person is found not because they are looking. Romans 3 verse 11 is clear. No one seeks for God. There is no one on this planet who is dead in their sin who decides to seek for God. Salvation occurs because God extends His saving grace. God draws the spiritually dead to Himself. It is an irresistible grace. Salvation is all of God. No one is righteous. All need an alien righteousness that is outside of themselves. If it is outside of themselves, they cannot grasp for it. They cannot reach for it. They cannot obtain it without God giving it. It's the righteousness of Christ. Application three. If you are saved, your salvation, as the missionaries discussed this morning, your salvation demands the greatest measure of devotion and love from you to God. It demands it. Just think for a moment about your love and devotion for your hobbies, your possessions, and the people in your life. Is your greatest love, is your greatest devotion given to the Lord? He deserves it and He demands it. We are to love Him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might, all of our strength. These words by Alistair Begg have penetrated my heart over the last two weeks. He said, if we're going to maintain purity, we need to make choices in advance on the basis of God's Word. That's why if you ever move from here and you go somewhere else, find a solid church before you buy a house. You make choices in advance based upon God's Holy Word. A life of purity does not happen by accident. It is an act of absolute determination prompted by God's Spirit, guided by His Word, and enabled by His power. As Isaac Watts said, he said the same thing in his hymn. He said, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So there's nothing outside of us. There's no room that is inside of our hearts in which we are allowed to reserve, like, this is for Casey, this is for you. No. God demands it all. And He's worthy of it all. And He has commanded that we worship Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God demands by command that we love Him with all that we are. The Lord is to be our greatest love and our greatest devotion. 
We are to make choices in advance on the basis of His Word because of His grace and obey Him. That means as God's children, you need to abide in the Word of God and know it. You know what the Word of God says. If saved, you agree with this because you have come by God's grace to know that God first loved you. You did not first love Him. God extended His grace to you. You did not love Him first. God's Word has not failed. His plan of redemption has always included the Gentiles. Now, Paul points to a second truth by looking at the prophet Isaiah. The second truth is that God's plan of salvation never included all of Israel because God's Word has not failed. Look at Romans 9, verses 27 and 28. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. This is a quote of Isaiah 10, 22 and 23, which says, For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. So only a remnant will be saved. Only a few, those whom God elects. I love the words of James Montgomery Boyce. God never intended to save every individual Jew any more than he intends to save every Gentile. Instead, God has always operated by the principle of election, according to which some out of the great number of both Jews and Gentiles are brought to Christ. So whether Jew or Gentile, all whom God calls, all whom Christ died for, all whom God chose before the foundation of the world, all the elect, they will be saved. The Word of God has not failed, not at all. May it never be, God forbid. Paul continues, Romans 9, verse 29. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. This verse is so beautiful. It comes from Isaiah 1, verse 9. He says, If the Yahweh of hosts had not left us a few survivors... We should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So if the Lord, if he did not elect, no one will be saved, and all there would be is destruction. For many of us, it's hard to hear this because we've been so fashioned in our minds to hear that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But if the Lord in His sovereignty and providence, as we were all born enemies of God, if He did not elect, what would come would just be destruction for all of us. Genesis 19, 24-29 explains this. Then Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before Yahweh. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, 
God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by the Lord. Fire and sulfur came down from heaven at the command of God. If Yahweh did not elect a single soul, if He did not usher out people from that city, if He does not usher people out now today, all there would be is destruction. Grace is heaven. What we deserve is justice, and justice is hell. Romans 9, verses 30-33, What shall we say then? The Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So salvation is not based upon our works. Salvation is based upon God-given faith. Salvation cannot be attained by us keeping the law, because there is not a soul who has kept the law except Jesus. Faith is not something that we can build ourselves. Faith is a gift of God, and it comes by hearing the word of Christ. Romans 10, 16 and 17, which we'll approach next week. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So the word of Christ, along with the power of the Holy Spirit, is the means by which souls are saved. That should bring us great encouragement. That means you don't have to articulate things that well. You don't have to have stories that draw in people's attention for you to get them to the point of, I hope they get saved now. God says, I will use any fool, saved or unsaved, that when the gospel is preached, I will save whom I will for my name and for my glory. And those whom I do not save, I will harden and their life will continue to glorify me because all of my attributes are on full display. What a glorious God we serve. That the word of Christ along with the power of the Holy Spirit is the means by which souls are saved. It is through the proclamation of Jesus Christ that Christ is ushering in his kingdom, that the Lord draws people to himself, that men cannot usher souls into heaven. It is a work of God. The majority of the Jews, Christ was a stumbling block because the law of God was their salvation when in fact the law was given to point them to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Paul again draws from Isaiah, Isaiah 8 verse 14. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Isaiah 28, verse 16, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. So God's law is not a ladder to climb in which we can be saved. 
I was talking with a brother this morning, and I, I mentioned that I saw last night in sharing the gospel with individuals that my boldness had fallen. I was not as bold as I used to be. And I saw that last night. But in talking with other people, let us also remember our salvation is not based upon what we do even now. Our salvation is all of grace. There's not a ladder in which we can build man-made in which we can climb with whatever works that we do on your best day, on your best month, on your best year, you and I are failures in it all. Christ has done it all. God's law was always pointing to Christ. It is a schoolmaster in which he causes us to close our mouth and to realize we need a Savior. I cannot do this. I cannot keep it. That we have broken all of the law. We have lied. We have served false gods and false idols. Our minds even, we have great intimacy and great thoughts for the things of this world. We have used the Lord's name in vain. We are guilty of it all. We cannot climb this ladder to heaven. The law does not lead to righteousness. It points to the one who is righteous and can save. Romans 9, verse 33, whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes not in us, not in ourselves, not in our works, whoever believes in Christ will not be put to shame. That we are to believe upon Jesus Christ for our salvation. Think about how Jesus came. Jesus came humbly. Jesus lived humbly. He freely laid down His life on the cross, drinking the cup of the Father's wrath in full for the elect. He who knew no sin became sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. On the third day, He rose from the dead, proving to be God. And those who believe in Him will not be put to shame. But without Christ, without Christ, you are spiritually dead in your sin. Without Christ, God's wrath abides upon you right now. Without Christ, your father is the devil and your destination is hell. The best you will experience without Christ is this life. That's the best you will experience. For those who are saved in Christ, you are spiritually alive. In Christ, there is forgiveness. In Christ, you commune with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. No one can snatch you away from His hands. He holds on to you. Christ will bring you home. He will bring you to heaven where, in which you will never die. Your faith will become sight and you will live forever with Him. In Christ, your reward is great, is unfathomable. The things that you cherish right now on this planet, they will rust and they will fade. You will be with the greatest treasure of all time. But outside of Christ, you are punished. Romans 9, verse 33, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So Paul has informed us that God's word has not failed. It will never fail. His plan of redemption has always included the Gentiles. And number two, God's plan of salvation never included all of Israel, only a remnant. Romans 10, 1 and 2, brothers, 
My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I love that Paul put these verses in here. It is if the Lord exactly wanted you to know, I know that you believe that I am sovereign and providentially ruling over all things. I get that. My sovereignty is not an excuse for you to do nothing. Never. We don't ever sit back and say, God is sovereign, I don't have to talk about Christ. God is sovereign, I don't have to point my children to Christ. God is sovereign, I don't have to wash anybody in the Word. In fact, God has said, God is sovereign, go and do these things. God is sovereign, go and make disciples. God is sovereign, go tell them where they can find forgiveness. God is sovereign, call them to repent and believe. We have that God is sovereign and we have commands. And those commands are for our good and for His glory. God's Word is not failed. His plan of salvation includes not just Israel, but also Gentiles. And it was a remnant. A remnant will be saved from both. Paul is not declaring these truths to be cold and without compassion. Paul's heart, Paul's prayer, Paul the Apostle, he longed to see his countrymen saved. He prayed for it. His heart was beating for it. He longed to see them come to Christ. He said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. The truth of who God is, the truth of His Word, the truth of man and God's salvation must be told no matter how hard it is. If you are concerned about how people are going to respond, I want you to be more concerned about the fear of God. Paul wanted the Jews saved. His heart and his prayer is their salvation. And look at verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Zeal for God does not save. We got churches all around this world with lots of passion. That passion does not save. Ignorant, religious zeal does not equal salvation in any math book. It does not happen. On Wednesday, we were reminded of this from David and Amy. We saw an IMB video about religions of the world, and these religions exist in Texas as well. Just one block from here, we have 73 known spoken languages at the high school. Just as the Jews sought salvation through the law of God, tripping and stumbling over Christ, so do the majority in the Metroplex as well as the world. When you start asking more detailed questions, yes, I believe in Jesus, but they don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is in God's word. And Jesus is not their only source for salvation. He is a source, which is heresy. Just as the Jews sought salvation through the law of God, I wonder if there's people here this morning or people listening who are seeking their salvation with Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus anything else is not salvation. Jesus alone is salvation. What you believe about God 
personally is the most important thing about you. There is one God. He exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And salvation is only possible by God the Son. The Father provided the Son for salvation. All roads, they do lead to the same place. All roads lead to the judgment of Christ. And you will stand before Him. But only Christ is a Savior. And only Christ will get you in. If Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you might have zeal for God, but it is a zeal without knowledge. That's what it means to stand on truth. That means what it stands upon what God's Word has said. Because if it was up to me, I would not say there is one way. I would say that there is a way. But as someone who's been entrusted with God has given, I must declare to you there is one way to salvation, and it's Christ. The one true living God has given us His Holy Word, and His Word tells us there is salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ. Acts 4, 10 and 12, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing before you well. Sometimes we need to be reminded that He's not on that. He's accomplished it all. He's in heaven. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given by which we must be saved. So salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name. Jesus himself said in John 14, he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We must be saved by the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. Jesus is not just a way. Jesus is God, the only source of salvation. He is the way. And our belief for salvation must be in him alone. Romans 10, 3 and 4, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. If you had to pick a verse that talked about where we are today as a culture, I would pick this one. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God, seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. I'm a good person. No, you're not. But don't get upset. I'm in the same boat with you. I and you, we need a righteousness that is alien to us. It is outside of us. And that righteousness is only Christ. The Jews as a whole were ignorant of the righteousness of God, just as many are today. The righteousness of God is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We cannot establish our own way. We cannot build our own ladder to heaven. Our works don't get us there. It's all grace. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The law condemns, Christ redeems. Believe in Christ. This is why Paul is building up all this and he gets to Romans 10 verse 9 and he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
For Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So God's people are only those who are in Christ. God's people are the ones who believe in Christ alone for their salvation. God's people have called on Christ for salvation, and they continue to believe in Him. I say that to say, you and I have many friends, many family members who once said that they believed, but now they don't. If they don't still believe, they never believed. God is sovereign, and we are responsible for our sin. So we must go to them and point them to the Savior. Because God's word has not failed, as Paul has been preaching, and God's word will never fail. So in light of today's verses, I ask you, are you saved? I did not ask you about church attendance. I didn't even ask you if you were a member of this church, and you told me what I wanted you to hear for you to become a member. I didn't ask if you got baptized and you shared your story. I asked, do you still believe? Right now, if a tragedy were to happen to you and you were to die today and they and you were to stand at the gate, and they said, why in the world should I let you in? If your salvation is not based upon, I have trusted in Christ and Christ alone, you won't get in. Christ is the only entrance into heaven. And we need to have seriousness about this, great conversations about this. We need to usher in a great urgency with this, because Christ will Judge. Yes, every knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And then they're going to get in line and God will judge every single one of them. He will divide them up. And those who don't have faith in Christ, they will go to hell and they will have His wrath poured out on them forever. Scripture says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know why that is? Because they hate God. And they will hate Him for all of eternity. They will be so angry with him. But those who have their faith and their trust and hope in Christ and Christ alone, they will be welcomed and will spend forever with him with no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. Are you saved? Do you still believe in Christ alone for your salvation? Heidelberg Question Catechism 1 got this right. Your only comfort, only Your only comfort in life and death is that you are not your own, but you belong body and soul in life and death to Jesus Christ. If you are saved this morning, boast in Christ and his marvelous grace, because outside of his election, you would be dead. Give thanks to God for your salvation and the salvation of those that you know. Praise him for the salvation of those in your family. If you're a believer, are you praying for the salvation of others as the Apostle Paul was? He said in his heart, he was praying and he longed for them to be saved. Some of us have more compassion, more longing, and more desire about what is in our bank account than we do the salvation of souls. May that never be among God's people. Are you praying for the salvation of others? Are you telling the lost where God's salvation is found? 
We need to be praying for them, but that prayer needs to be moved to us opening up our mouth and proclaiming the good news of Christ. God will save whom He wills, and He has commanded us to go and to share. And we are to call all to repent and to believe, trusting the Lord. Father, I thank You for this morning. I thank You for Your holy word. Lord, as Paul has been pounding that hammer and pounding that hammer and pounding it, Lord, You have not failed. You have not failed an ounce. All that You have willed to do has accomplished. Jesus, the Son of God, coming and dying on the cross was never plan B. Always plan A. You have sovereignly and providentially ruled over all things, and yet, for those of us who have been born again, we know that all we really have is You. And You are the most important thing You should be. And as Your people, You have called us to go back into the darkness and proclaim the greatness of who You are. And through the preaching of the Word, You will save the lost. Father, tear away our earthly treasures. Remove the sin that clings so closely that ensnares us and entangles us. Give us eyes to see the lost souls that we are around. Remind us daily through your word that this place is not our home. Remind us that judgment is coming. Remind us that you are coming back. Remind us that there is a day in which the Lord's Supper will stop. That we are to proclaim your death, your burial, and your resurrection until you come. And then we will be with you forever at a feast in which you have prepared. Father, you are truly a gracious and merciful God. Remind us that we don't deserve salvation. And may we live for your name and for your glory because you have given us grace. It's in the name of Christ we pray and ask all these things. Amen.